Hi everyone, this is Liam Saniel from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features two experts from stem cell technologies. We're joined by Marta Wallasek, Senior Scientist in Research and Development, and Danielle Trong, Technical Scientist in Business Operations. Marta and Danielle recently joined us for a webinar where they provide tips and tricks to lock down effective genome editing conditions for CD34 cells, methods to evaluate genome editing efficiency, and optimal culture conditions to maintain hematopoietic stem cell function and long-term editing effects. Let's jump right in. What are the potential side effects of using gene therapy using gene editing? So gene therapy using gene editing has some potential side effects. As most gene therapy currently deliver edit gene using a vector, this technique presents some risks. Uh, one of the risks is unwanted immune system uh, reaction. The body's immune system may recognize the new delivery vehicle and this may cause inflammation. Another risk is that the virus carrying the edit gene can target the wrong cells. Since virus can affect more than one type of cells, it can also infect additional cells or healthy cells, not just the one that intended for, for repair. There could be another possibility of causing tumor if the new gene gets inserted in a wrong target in your DNA. So in regard to SSPC, Careful assessment of nuclease specificity and off-target is mandatory when aiming for clinical translation of engineered SSPC because these cells will have to support lifelong hematopoiesis by performing several cycles of cell renewal and differentiation in the patient. Therefore, any adverse effect of, from off-target need to be carefully evaluated. Yeah, definitely. That's a good point. Definitely a powerful technique, but important to control the risk. All right, next question here. How many cells do you typically obtain from a single CBU using the easy set method? And how quickly do they double within the first two to three days? In my hands, I've been getting slow doubling over the first few days, and then the cells appear to take off, which I feel is not how they should grow. Thanks a lot. So with easy set method from usual core blood unit. It will depends if a uh, method of isolation is positive EZCEP or negative. But with positive method on average, and it varies, of course, on the quality and the unit, it's around 1 million of CD34 positive cells that uh, you can get. And the next part of the question is how quickly do they double? This will as well depend if the cells were previously frozen or used uh, fresh. But usually what we observe that in during first two, three days, there is not much proliferation happening when you look on the cultures as a bulk. And then, yes, indeed, they start taking off around day four, which is very usual to this culture system. But it's because we are looking at them as a bulk culture. If you played the cells at a single cell level and you will trace these cells individually over every day on the zero, one, two, three, four, five, what you will notice that not all the cells will proliferate. There will be some cells that start proliferating already after 24 hours, but some cells which will start proliferating only after 48, 72 hours. And this will be correlated where in the hierarchy of CD34 they are, if they are more primitive or more progenitor. So the reason why we don't see proliferation 
in first two, three days in bulk cultures is because there's in the background going a lot of kinetics on a single cell level of some cells already proliferating while others not. Perfect. Yeah, great. I hope that answers the question. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. In your experience, what approach in vivo versus ex vivo would be most suitable for correcting a single base mutation in sickle cell disease in human subjects? I will take this question. There are two therapies, obviously. So in the in vivo gene therapy, new gene or inserted directly into your body. While with the ex vivo approach, it involves removing cells from the body, modifying them, and then placing them back into the body. So between these two approaches, the ex vivo approach is often used in uh, blood-related disorders, such as, in this case, sickle cell disease, because it's utilize a person's own cell-renewal stem cells, which can be engineered with a functional knockout, functional working gene, and then delivered into your body. So as we know that the sickle cell disease is caused by a by mutation of a single base in the DNA sequence of the beta globin gene, uh, it is a perfect candidate for CRISPR-mediated uh, gene therapy. Currently, many clinical and preclinical development, including treating sickle cell anemia with CRISPR, involve this ex vivo procedure where hematopoietic stem cells are extracted from the patient, corrected them through a homology-directed repair to knock in the normal sequence of the gene, or other strategy involve a gene knockout by switching off the gene that suppress the fetal hemoglobin, which is a healthy hemoglobin, which or in turn cause a fetal hemoglobin to be expressed and in turn, you know, replace the uh, mutated adult hemoglobin. So yes, the answer is ex vivo is more favor for this type of treatment. Excellent. All right. Yeah, another great answer there. How can you make sure that the cells are engrafted after reinjection into patients, especially because cells were expanded in vitro? I can take that. The dose of CD34 cells is known to influence an outcome of stem cell transplantation when we are talking about fresh cells. And of course, number of functional CD34 cells has been shown to predictive of engraftment potential. And this can be measured. The frequency of functional CD34 cells can be measured with CFUSA, which in terms as well has been shown to correlate with engraftment potential of non-cultured cells. After culture, of course, cell culture dependent on conditions of uh, cell culture that we are using, they will change the frequency of functional and graftable stem cells. And therefore, it is very important to carefully assess the functional potential and frequency of functional stem cells that are remaining in the population of the cells after cell culture. And this can be done using functional assays such, for example, USA. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.